Most of the time, we review books that we really like here on The Book Boys. Other times, we review books that stink. And when a book really stinks, we get fussy. So this is a warning that sometimes we'll swear on this podcast, or sometimes the material that we're reviewing will be adult in nature. So keep that in mind as you listen to this week's episode. Ben! How are you doing, buddy? Hi. Yeah, I'm all right. How's, How's your pee? <laughs> you got to make sure you get that in there. My pee was yeah. fine, as I just said. Okay. Uh, literally finished the book and then took a piss, and now we're recording. Yeah. So, And you made a point to text me about that, so I was going to ask. So. Well, you always get so fussy if I'm ever running late. So, uh, God you're, forbid. You're always running late. I'm not always running late. So you're usually was, uh, running late, or uh, there's something wrong with the setup. Are you? I swear to God, if you're wearing your Bluetooth headphones, I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> oh, you're using the Bluetooth headphones, aren't you? No, I'm teasing. That was just too uh, too delicious to pass up. All right. How's your two weeks been with your knee? What have you been doing? You've been going to physical therapy, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's getting a lot better. I'm still got a ways to go with the range of motion and the swelling, but it's getting a lot better. And they, they say it's progressing uh, as well as it should be so i'm, I'm doing well but is it's, it like a, it's a process the, is it like in the movies where you're like trying to walk and then you have someone standing next to you cheering you on that kind of thing yes it's exactly like that <laughs> are you falling in love with the the it's, person that's your therapist your physical therapist because that happens too that's completely common yep, I'm, yeah yeah totally all, all the cliches are happening it's um Okay. So she, you should come you should come watch my next physical therapy session. It's quite inspiring. Is it? I imagine it would be. I mean, I kind of would feel weird being there because I'd see what's hopefully or for your case uh, with your sexual preference, a female physical therapist who's so inspired by your uh, your bravery and your determination. No, that, it's a, it's a man. Well, I don't know. You prepared to eat from the other end of the buffet then? He's married. Okay. Well, it gets complicated. I've seen movies about that. Well, so you're doing good with physical therapy. Yeah, it seems to be going well. So, How's work? Are you back in the office, crutching around? I didn't have to use crutches at all, but yeah, I've been in the office because we don't work from home. That's just not what our company does. So yes, I've been in the office. <laughs> okay, fine. I uh, I was having... My, my boss asked me how I was doing, and I explained her sometimes it's hard to get comfortable at work because it's difficult to keep my foot elevated like i'm supposed to so i was yeah kind of contorting myself and using an overturned garbage can to kind of elevate my foot and she suggested that well if that doesn't work just um undock your laptop from the docking station on your desk and just sit like across two chairs so you can keep your foot up and then just use your laptop in your lap I'm like, you know, I could just do that from home. Yeah, exactly. If if the point of coming to the office is like, I'm going to do virtual meetings and not even use my fucking desk. Like, (laughs) why am I coming in here? This is so asinine. I know. I love that the apps, like it's not even on the table, you working from home. It's just like, well, we can try to figure out a way for you to be comfortable. That's not a consideration at all. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's not within the realm of possibility. But here you can (laughs) use an, you could use a spare chair and put your foot up on that and use your laptop in your lap. I love that it gets so ridiculous that you're in the CEO's office with your foot elevated on his desk and stuff, because they'll go that far, but yeah. not let you work from home. 
Like the CEO is like having to work out of the bathroom or something. And he's like, this is fine. <laughs> At least he's not working from home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So oh, that's amazing. Which just uh, reiterates my desire to leave the place. And has... yeah, yeah. Every, every little interaction like that just gives me a little bit more fuel to continue this, this job search that I'm on. So how's the job fine. search going? How's the market out there yeah. with the COVIDs and everything? Yeah, no, it's not the best time to be looking for a job, but there's there's plenty of things out there, so I'm just going to keep at it. I'll find something soon enough. Yeah, look at you. Look at the confidence coming off you. You're exuding it. No wonder your physical therapist is falling in love with you. And I with him. <laughs> the respect is mutual. It's hard yes. not to fall in love with a, you know, with an angel. People that they make their job helping others. So I can see why that's happening. I, yeah. I've- I've, I've uh, crossed paths with a lot of healthcare providers in the last three weeks, and I think I've fallen in love with each one of them in a way. <laughs> the, the anesthesiologist, the mm-hmm. physician's assistant, the surgeon himself, the various nurses I've seen changing sure. my dressings, removing my sutures. Yeah, and every yeah. time you interact with any of them, you're always fighting back the urge to ask them to marry you. I understand. I do have to say it is nice. Uh, the physical therapy is you know, the only... Uh, physical contact i have with another human being these days so yeah i've got the physical therapist you know grabbing my my foot and manipulating my leg in various ways to stretch it out and mm-hmm. maneuver mm-hmm. it and heal it and yeah it's no i hear you yeah well take what you can get and when I, yeah when i when i went to have the sutures removed with the, the nurse there with you know delicately mm. grasping my leg in one hand and she had the scissors in the other hand and mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. snipping those sutures out and you duct taping down your penis because uh, <laughs> you don't want to embarrass yourself <laughs> with boners at those situations why would I be embarrassed by an erection <laughs> I used to know somebody that did uh, like massage but not like massage therapy like at a salon or whatever and she said it was very annoying because you always ran into the people who wanted to be buck naked, like a man, that would always want to be buck naked during it, and would always say things like, what, a body's just a body, right? Was always like the line that they all used. Because you could always tell it's a pervert, because as soon as they say a body's just a body, it's like, all right, I'm dealing with a pervert. And then she'd have to, like, enforce the rules about put your goddamn shorts back on. So I love <laughs> that you're basically that person, like you're... <laughs> <laughs> Your therapist. Well, I wasn't nude. I, I would no. I'm ashamed of my body. I wasn't going to be nude, but be not ashamed, ashamed of, of your erection. erection. Yeah, yeah. So he'll look up after he's adjusting your foot and see that you clearly have an erection, <laughs> and you'll go, "What a body's just a body." <laughs> well, what about a social life? Do you have any friends you're hanging out with? What are you doing lately? Yeah, it's once a week I see a group of friends, but Tim, yeah, it's about it. All right. How about well, you? Do, you? do you see anybody socially? Have you been to Corey's pool lately? No, get, I haven't. Get a couple of dips in before the, the weather really turns for the worst? No, uh, his pool smells bad. It's basically a pond, so it just it has like little bits of algae in it and stuff. It's kind of disturbing. Gosh, you're so fussy. Well, it smells like human feces. I even told that to him the last time I was in there. I'm like, I'm not going in this again. It smells like turds. And he's like, whoa, I don't know. So we had to argue. We had an argument about it while waiting in the water. Uh, me? Uh, I paid for my tree that got cut down by the racist. Okay. Uh, again, well, actually, yeah. this time, surprisingly more expensive than I expected it to be. Uh, okay. It was 1500 Well, you weren't. 
You weren't given a quote or an estimate beforehand? They no, he doesn't do that. Down. I know. It's crazy. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, he didn't give me a quote or nothing. He just comes over and he does it. I even said when he was there, well, how much am I going to owe you? Do you want a check or am I paying by card? And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. We'll bill you later. I'm like, okay, fine. I just need you to cut down this tree. Last time he cut down like three trees for pretty darn cheap. Uh, but this time one tree cost 1500 which is still pretty darn so cheap. But So his business model, though, is like a, a drug dealer on the street. You know, He's going to give you that first hit for... For free or fascinating oh. discount price, and then once you're hooked on this tree removal thing, he's going to jack up the price. That's uh, you know, I wasn't considering it going in that direction. I was just thinking about back in the days when I used to smoke weed back in the uh, in the nineties. Uh, anyone I go buy it from, if I wasn't buying very much because I didn't have much money, they get really annoyed <laughs> and they'd overcharge me. Oh, I thought they would send you an invoice later. <laughs> no, what you're saying. No, but he uh, since I had him come out just to do one tree and I explained to him, like, I'm sorry, it's just one tree and it's kind of a waste of your time, but it's going to crash on the neighbor's house like this thing is rotting and dying. And just one good storm is going to have this thing destroy this person's home. Uh, and so he's like, all right, fine. And I think it was still a waste of time for him. So I think he jacked up the price just because it's one tree as opposed to like a bunch. I don't know. So anyways. That was kind of a downside. Beyond that, nothing exciting is going on. Uh, work went from being not that great for me uh, the last three weeks to yeah. suddenly... Um, I think it's like getting in with a gang in a prison because I didn't have a great three weeks and it was really frustrating and very annoying. And then all of a sudden, after that, everyone loves me. So it's kind of like a hazing ceremony, I think. I don't think they planned it. I think they just subconsciously want to make me miserable, and then I'm part of the gang now. Because now suddenly everything's so you, great. All right, you passed the test. Way to go. I know. So suddenly they're all like, wow, that was really smart of you. And, oh, you pointed that out, and no one's, that's, uh, that's amazing. No one's ever done that before. And all this kind of, like, lots of uh, just praise. It's weird. So, and nice, but, yeah, weird. And that's pretty much it. I don't have anything either. Should we move no. on to Gretchen? Well, first, like, the uh, little bit of excitement I had this week. I just sent you the text about it. Is, yeah. Um, What's that about? My, my streaming uh, choices right now, I don't have Netflix like a lot of people do. I have HBO and I have Hulu. And mm-hmm. uh, I opened up the Hulu app earlier this week. And uh, right there on the home screen, exciting news that all of the Twilight movies are now available streaming on Hulu. <laughs> are they? So really? That, that really brightened my mood in these kind of, you know, have so-so you time, watched any? times of mine. So. No, I thought maybe you and I could, though. I was thinking the same thing. Okay, so I'm not trying to interrupt you. Uh, we're going to get right back to you. I was watching uh, YouTube out of boredom because there's just nothing to watch right now. And um, and then I ran across someone doing a review on uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. One thing uh, was... The, the book or the movie? Uh, the movie. The person was reviewing the movies. Sorry. Okay. Uh, but then uh, E.L. James or whatever. It turns out that she's in the movie industry or has been, and I don't know to what capacity, um, if she's like a writer or something, I have no idea. So she, I guess she was basically lying about her inexperience with writing is what this person was saying, but I didn't catch like what she does for a living. So maybe I got that confused, but her husband definitely works in the movie industry as so she's an experienced, just terrible writer. Exactly. And her husband, I guess is a script writer. And so he has experience and has done nothing to rein in her horrible writing. Uh, and in England, I guess he's well known on the movies that he's made and stuff, but I have not heard of him. So anyways, that's weird. Uh, but this person was talking about the movies and how the first movie, 
adaptation of her book uh, was actually really not bad. Like, it was pretty mediocre as far as movies go, but they did do a lot to improve the story of the first book um, to try to make it watchable, basically. And uh, so the person's kind of reviewing that and talking about the movie and the differences between the book and the movie, and then talks about how E.L. James would show up on the set and scream at the directors and the main, like the main script person or whatever about how they keep changing her book. And she expects it all to be word for word, exactly the same down to the dialogue and everything. And so that's the reason. Yeah. And that's the reason why this person was like, here's what they say in the movie on this scene. Here's what was written in the book. You can see why the choice for the movie was way better because the book is ridiculous. (laughs) And they even do uh, a reading of, uh, Anna or whatever, Anastasia, um, uh, do a reading like Does they she have, sound like Louis Anderson? Just like you, yes. <laughs> Super whiny and like high pitched voice, and it was just amazing. And so I was just laughing my ass off. But apparently, then the second and third movies were considered, even by people that are fans of the book and everything, the second and third were considered horrible. And that's because the original director and stuff just said, screw it, I'm not working on these movies anymore. I can't have this author floating around yelling at me every day. So they took off, and um, I don't know who the director was, but I guess her husband was, like, second director. So he jumped in to get his name on the movies. And then everything Mm -hmm. just went downhill from there. So I was just like, wow, this person, no wonder you and I can't get through those books, because it's just an insufferable person who's also a horrible writer. Anyways, so yes, but then they started talking about Twilight and how Twilight's somehow better and stuff, and they were talking about the movies, and I did think to myself, Ben and I should definitely probably watch these movies because <laughs> i guess yeah, they're hilarious do you, do you have a hulu subscription i do have a hulu subscription okay yeah um the other thing um i guess kind of related to that on hulu what i've been watching lately mm-hmm. is um it is in the vampire genre <laughs> uh no it's good though it's uh, what we do in the shadows have you watched that oh yeah i've seen that i've watched okay. all of them they're pretty good yeah they're, so i'm it's uh, the I'm same the same director so. of uh, Jojo Rabbit. He made that show yeah. in England, and he directed this one too. So it's pretty yeah, good. No. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've been watching that lately because I did I I finished Lost. So yeah, what'd you think? Uh, I based on what people were telling me, I was expecting to hate it a lot more. I didn't have it, it was fine. I mean, it, seasons five and six weren't as good as the other seasons, but I didn't hate the ending and those i oh, still right. enjoyed it throughout so all right fine i think maybe it's because you didn't put in the years involving waiting between seasons to just be disappointed yeah, just, more and more as time went on it's just because i did it in six months it was that made it better yeah because yours is more casual like i'm i wouldn't be surprised if you sort of like half paid attention through episodes whereas when it was coming out live on tv and like you're waiting for the next episode to answer the questions from the previous season and then they're kind of disappointing. I think maybe that's probably the key. Because I've heard other people say the same thing. Like, they'd watch Lost, and they're like, I didn't hate it as much. And I'm thinking, I think it's because you didn't have to live through it like we did. I, I don't know. Maybe just expectations have changed. I mean, you know, it was kind of a groundbreaking show. You think about what TV used to be now we're in this age of prestige TV or whatever, and that was one of the, the thing, first shows like that where there's mm-hmm. a lot of characters with complicated backstories and you're not sure if you're supposed to like all these characters or not and there's yeah are you clicking a pen sorry yeah (laughs) you've been doing it a lot how do you feel about 
uh, Lovecraft country. I gave up on it. I just thank I was you. Not I did too. Getting into it. I, I think I watched the first three or four episodes. I'm like, yeah, this is good. I like, you know, it wasn't Jordan Peele, the executive producer, so I'm like a fan of his. And mm-hmm. I wanted to like the show, but I just was not getting into it. No. Um, the first episode, I'm like, eh, kind of a dumb start, but all right. Maybe it'll get better. Second episode, I was like, okay, the creepy white people, they're hanging out with them. All right, fine. Like, maybe this will just kind of get better by episode three. I think it was episode three is where randomly one of the the main female character decides she wants to like buy a house in a white neighborhood and like rent out rooms to people. And like it had nothing to do with the main, like it barely had anything to do with the main story. Uh, You find out later that like someone gave her money and it was one of the creepy white people that gave her money to buy this place. So it was like involved ghosts and then like an exorcism and it had nothing to do with anything. And I was so like, is this like Twilight Zone where they're just trying to kind of thread these things together barely, but basically they're all their own episodes that have nothing to do with each other. And I think it was episode four when they went on the treasure hunt. That's when I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I just walked away from it. Yeah, I just I just I couldn't get into it. Yeah. Did so. you get to the treasure hunt episode then? I don't think so that's not ringing a bell oh that's the one where i actually turned it off in the middle of the episode and i'm like they're on a freaking treasure hunt that involves magic like magical things oh, and wait. magical yeah. puzzles yeah they were like in the museum or something right yeah right? and then they went okay the yeah that's the last one i watched yeah and i was i was that was done after that so yeah. i know all right well what about gretchen oh wait there's one more i, I forgot I'm looking at my notes here hmm. as I'm clicking my pen to uh, check things <laughs> off my list here. Um, I'm noticing that I had written down just another stupid thing about my company hmm. is there are a bunch of people out of the office. Uh, the company sponsors this golf tournament in South Dakota. So okay. there are a bunch of people out of the office uh, working at that golf tournament. Mm-hmm. And then they all returned last week. Uh, they're back in the office. Uh, but then later in the week, uh, everybody who had been in South Dakota was working from home because there's some sort of possible COVID exposure, apparently. Oh. But the thing is, these people were all in the office for a few days, and now they're <laughs> being quarantined. So everyone's been potentially exposed, I guess. I don't know. Like, And I have no idea what the details are because nobody talks about it. Nobody's like allowed to discuss this, but... Mm. <laughs> I love that no one's again, allowed to discuss be, it. Well, yeah, there's a silence around. It. Again, this could all easily be avoided if just everybody worked from home. <laughs> like we all have the tools to do. Instead yeah. of just quarantining people after they've been in the office for a few days, like, yeah, you know what? They might have been exposed to something. Everybody better stay home. Mm-hmm. Everyone else in the office, you were kind of like secondhand exposed, but you'll stay in the office because right? we don't we don't work from home. So I know, I know. It's ridiculous. I, that's the one benefit to my place is uh, we've been working from home since day one, and they have no intention of bringing us back. And they've said more than once, anyone that's happy working from home and doesn't have any problems with it, just plan on continuing to do that for the foreseeable future because we're not bringing anyone back in anytime soon. Yeah, and the one job that I've had discussions about with the recruiter, I mean, that was one of the first things we talked about, he's like, yeah, they're uh, working from home at least until the end of the year. Yeah. They've that's already what, announced. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, well, 
It's just, uh, at this point, it's just the way your work is. You kind of wish bad things on, like, you know, your employer. Like, what if someone got sick and we all had to work from home? That would sure teach him a lesson. But also, you don't want anyone to get sick and have their life in danger or anything like that. So, Exactly, yeah. I want the whole office to get sick, but I also don't want... Yeah, that's kind of a... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh... That's part of the nature of man, an inherent evil where you wish the worst on people. But you just have to accept that. Yours is more accentuated than most people. So let's move on to Gretchen. What has she got for us? I don't know. As usual, I haven't read this at a time, so... <laughs> so be fresh for both of us. Sweet. Gretchen's Backyard Blast Bird Blur. This okay. week, we'll learn a little bit about... Huh? No, go ahead. Sorry. What? I was just gonna say I can't wait for her fall. What's what's her fall title gonna be? It's gonna she's gotta have seasonal names. Why? I don't understand why where do you think her yard goes in the winter? It's still the backyard. Backyard blast bird blur. It just shouts summertime fun. Like the name Baja Blast just screams summer, you know, was splashing and like so the whole backyard blast thing. When it when fall what about, comes what about Arctic Blast? See, there you go. Me. There you See, go. Blast. Well, I'm just saying that you seem to be hung up on the word blast because backyard, bird, and blurb are all season <laughs> agnostic words here. But blast, you seem to think is summer exclusive, but I'm telling you it's not. So I don't understand why the name of the segment needs to change with the seasons. But we'll see. We'll see what she does because I obviously I can't control her. She just does what she wants <laughs> to. So maybe she will change it. Yes, that's true. You cannot control her. And that's the reason why she's been the one thing on this show that I think people only tune into. <laughs> Gretchen's Backyard Blast Bird. <laughs> this week, we'll learn a little bit about the smallest Minnesota bird, the ruby-throated hummingbird. <laughs> they are able to hover, fly up and down, and are the only bird able to fly backward. <laughs> Their wings make a humming sound because they flap 50 to 60 times per second. <laughs> it takes about five hummingbirds to equal the weight of one chickadee. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, it sounds like the cat liked that blurb. Yeah, I just got distracted by the cat. He just walked yeah, up and You know, fuck me. you for criticizing me clicking my pen. You got the fucking cat in the background. So, well, if I don't yeah. let him down here, he scratches at the door and screams <laughs> the whole time. So I just finally gave up and let him come down. Anyway, also, uh, to clarify from last time, we had, a, we had a question about the multiple nests with the cardinals. Oh, yeah. To clarify from last time, the female cardinal builds a second nest while the male feeds the young. Because cardinals have two to three broods in the season, so she's building a nest for the next eggs. Oh. Two to three broods, you just mean, like, groups of children. I always figure brood means kids, but I was also thinking, as you said that, do you mean secret families? Like my uncle, who had a whole separate family in Tulsa that no one knew about until they got in their 40s? <laughs> I'd love it if was birds he, were like saying... Is like, he a traffic salesman or something? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, oh, I got I to gotta go sell more Bibles out in Tulsa, so I'm going to be gone for four <laughs> weeks. <laughs> These encyclopedias don't sell themselves. <laughs> Yeah. And there's like a, he's got a little boy out there just like, I only get to see daddy three times a year. <laughs> I hope he brings me a birthday gift. Yeah, the bird world, I'm sure, is very similar to salesmen. Uh, so is that it? Does she got any jokes? Yeah, I'm not sure I get it, though. Well, oh, okay. I get it. This is terrible. Um, You're not supposed to pre-read them. What do you call a parrot that flew away? <laughs> a 
a polygon. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a thinker, that one. That's pretty good. Yeah, but but not in a good way. Oh, it's still good in a good way. It's not as cute as the other ones I always like, but it's definitely got a math teacher vibe to it. You can see, you can see like an elementary school math teacher telling that joke. Yeah, she's a dental hygienist, though. Hmm. I wonder if she's got. So any I, don't, teeth I, jokes. I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> okay, fine. All right, with that, let's dive into the story. Red Hi. Boxcar Children. Uh, Benny uncovers yeah. a mystery. Yeah, that's my name. That's why I picked the book. Yeah, and I chose to imagine you as the main character, a youthful version uh, of yourself. I was hoping you would. And uh, boy, did it pay off. <laughs> I, <laughs> did it? I'm glad somebody had a payoff for this. Oh, yeah. I think uh, maybe I should save this for the end. I don't know. Okay. Well, we can just go through the story. Uh, Basically, I mean, I didn't like... Which make... shouldn't take too long. It's not, uh... No, it's a short little book. Let's say the plot wasn't as complex as the, uh, the TV show Lost, <laughs> the, the, the plot was still ridiculous. <laughs> it's all... Uh, well, basically, you have... I guess they're supposed to be like the Hardy Boys, but it's the Alden family. Yes. Um, it's, I guess... Well, that, okay, so that was my first problem. Uh, this is uh, book number 19 in the series. And I was I... just going to say, yeah. It seemed to assume a level of familiarity with the family that I just didn't have. So I, I don't know. For some reason, I thought the boxcar children like lived in a train or something. Yeah, but that's not the case. They I was thinking, grandpa. I, I don't know what's going on here. At no point was anyone riding the rails here. No one made a reference to hobo stew or anything like they, that. I think, I think it's inferred that. They're maybe orphans, though, since they live with their grandpa and there's no mention of parents. So were they living on a train in the past? Is their grandpa (laughs) really their grandpa or is it just some kindly old man that took them in? I don't know. Yeah, we should probably look that up on Wikipedia. Find out what the origin story of uh, Henry, Jesse, Violet, and Benny were. In the first chapter, they just talk about Henry Aldrin um, leaning against a tree in the summertime before college starts, so they're like teenagers. Um, he's, He's the oldest. Oh, is he? oh, okay. I didn't catch yes. that part. Then, I, feel, yes, I thought they're all the same. Sisters, age. and then, then Benny. Is yeah, the and you find out later that they're all related. They only make a reference in the beginning to Sister Jessie, but then you just have Violet, and then you just have Benny. Then you have a guy named Jeff, and uh, then they refer to a person named Sammy, Sammy Beach, at some point. So it's kind of like I don't know who's who, who's related, or just friends. Uh, but that's probably our own fault because we're picking up at book nineteen, where I'm sure all this has been sussed out. Uh, nice and early on, but yeah, yeah. The book is basically they are sitting around bored because they're so used to going on cool adventures. I guess they mentioned a lighthouse that they went to one summer with their grandpa, um, yeah. but this summer they didn't. They just stuck around the house. So apparently, grandpa's got financial problems, and then um, so they're bored, and then they decide they want to get a job. So Henry and Benny get a job at the department store. And uh, which I that's pretty much the story. Their whole job search, yeah, their job search is sending a dangerous message to children just that you can just walk around and like 
barge into businesses and demand a job and you'll get one eventually. Like by the time the afternoon is over, you'll have a job and that's the way to go about doing it. Yeah. As true. one who is actively searching for a job, I can assure the children, if there's any children listening to this episode, cause they, they've found the book boys based on the Foxheart <laughs> children that we're reviewing this week. Uh, kids don't, don't let that be your expectation when you enter the real world and look for a job. It's hard work. You can't just walk around asking people for jobs. You have to put some more thought and consideration into it. You have to no, make exactly. a good resume. You have to tailor your resume for each uh, position you're applying for. You have to craft a, a nice cover letter. You don't I just barge know. into a building, and even speak when I was to the kid, manager, and demand a job. Even when I was a kid and I was trying to get like a summer job or something, you don't just get to barge in and say, got any work? And they're like, ah, sorry, we don't. I'm like, ah, shucks. Well, better luck next time. And you walk out. Not how it works at all. You still have to go fill out an application. <laughs> you eventually have to meet with someone and talk to them, yeah. even if it's just for a dumb job where you barely get minimum wage. Um, yeah, but anyways, uh, so it's like a, it's a lazy, hot day, and they talk about how Sammy Beach, uh, he got a job at the hospital. And then uh, that's suddenly when Benny gets all uppity, and he says that being lazy and bored on a summer day is not the Alden way. And so, uh, damn it, I'm going to get a 9 to 5 job. Uh, even though I think it's like the, at the end of summer. That, that's the healthy message, though, for the kids is, yes, you should be industrious and <laughs> pull yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, be a contributing member of society. And that's how you get ahead in life. So. Uh, yeah, that's true. I suppose that's true. Maybe that does. Maybe Boxcar Children does have a good message. It certainly doesn't have any racism that's clearly been edited out. So I'm thinking Boxcar Children's probably the book to recommend so far out of ones that we've read to children. Uh, I like that when Benny says, I don't want to get some dumb job. I want to get a real good nine to five job. Um, and they're like, the summer's almost over. Why do you want to do it now? And then at that point, and this is where imagining that it's you uh, came in handy because he holds up one muscular fit and well-proportioned arm <laughs> and says, I can do real good hard work. <laughs> also, it doesn't uh, make clear how old Benny is in the book. Well, we, we know... The older brother is uh, entering college, apparently. But Benny, yeah. uh, judging by the cover, he looks like he's about eight or ten. I don't know. Oh, apparently I know. he's a little bit older than. That. Well, I wound up getting this the book Kindle. Was written in the late seventies. So I don't know what the child labor law was oh. back then. Could you get a uh, nine-five when you're twelve years old? Was it written in the late seventies? I uh, well, it was, it was written in nineteen seventy-six. So the first Boxcar Children was written in nineteen twenty-four. And this is the 19th one. It was written in 1976. Also, this is, uh, by happenstance, we uh, we chose the the final book to be written by the original author. Really? It took that long yeah. to get through 19 books. Not as prolific as, uh, say, Flowers in the Attic. <laughs> you had a million authors or, and a million books. Or Twilight. Yeah, or Twilight. Well, or... but since then, so there's... The first 19 are written by uh, Ms. Gertrude Chandler Warner. Mm-hmm who uh, died a couple years after this one was published at the right old age of 89, I think. Mm-hmm. But then since then, uh, starting in 1991, that's when uh, number 20 in the series was published by the uh, Since then, it's gotten up to 155. Oh, wow. Wow, really picked up. Yeah, so it took uh, 50 odd years to get through the first 19 and then uh, <laughs> another 135 editions in the next in, in 30 years. So I, I love that somebody like... And I haven't even talked about the Boxcar Children Great Adventures, of which there are five, or the Boxcar Children's Specials, of which there are 21. Oh, boy. Uh, I did like that they had their... They were looking at the want ads, and I love how... 
how step for step everything happens so far in this book because as they're laying around, then one, then Benny says, I want a nine to five job. And then a, a paper boy goes by and dr- like throws the paper that like goes, hey, catch. And then like the paper lands right in front of them. So then they open up the want ads and they're reading for it. And um, I love that one was wanted young person to sit for two hours daily with an invalid. <laughs> Just like, yeah, no, what the sure. hell is that? <laughs> Why only two hours? I don't know. Everything about that was problematic. Uh yeah. Then another one just wanted someone to run errands. And I'm like, this isn't stuff you'd actually see in the want ads, especially in the 70s. That's where, that's where I thought it was like from the 30s or something when I was reading this. Because I'm like, this isn't something that is normal. Uh, so then Benny calls and says, can I get a job running errands? The woman goes, no, someone else already got the job. Uh, then they say, this is where I thought was weird. They just, they see that they want to, like someone to work at the department store at Furman's or whatever department store. And so then he says, oh, boy, I'm going to go apply for that. Then they get on their bikes, and as they go down Main Street, they stop at different stores and try to get jobs there. And I was like, what happened to the – why? I thought you wanted to get a job at the department store. Why are you stopping at the hardware store and the grocery store and, like, the jewelry store trying to get work from these people? Just go to the department store. Um, But then, yeah, one thing I thought was weird is that this this family, just like the Hardy Boys, is apparently the most famous family in town. And uh, everyone knows who they are. So every time they call, trying to or go door to door asking for a job position, they're like, "Oh, you're Benny Alder, or whatever. Like you're your your grandpa's kid. We know who you yeah. are." So it's kind of one of those scenarios. They meet Mister Foggy, who's crabby. He knows who those boys are, and he doesn't like them. Doesn't like them one bit. Uh, and yeah, well, he's crabby because he has a bad back. Cut, cut Mister Fogg some slack, okay? No, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like who they are. He doesn't like that they got hired without consulting him first. Uh, yeah, but it's because he's in constant pain from his back. Cut the poor man some slack. <laughs> um, hey, let's get out of the mysteries. That's what this book is about. He well, no, the there's, What's there's going a, on? What there, happened? There's a missing face. There's some weird letters. Wow. All sorts of mystery at the department store. Um, well, we, we yeah, the well, the beginning of that mystery would be that Grandpa said, oh, yeah, you can go get a job there. And don't worry, I won't put in a word for you or anything because everyone in town knows him. He goes, you can get this on your own for your own pride reasons. He goes, though, I don't like what they're doing over there. They're making changes. So when they're interviewing, they find out uh, from the manager or whatever. Yeah, he did. And then then they said that uh, they're selling the store or they've already sold the store. So Mr. Furman is just the manager of it. And the owner is a mysterious person that lives in New York. Uh, M.D. Squares, Squires (laughs) is the person that lives in New York. And that's kind of the setup of the mystery, uh, which pays off uh, amazingly well later. Uh, and then they decide that um, uh, Mr. Foggy is always complaining about them. Like, they, they overhear him complain to the manager about them. No, I don't want you hiring them, that kind of thing. And it says, and I quote, Henry and Benny uh, knew that they had uh, developed an enemy. So that's your enemy in the story. <laughs> Mr. Foggy, who just doesn't like them, is now their enemy nothing's happening and the mystery like their enemy isn't really an enemy and the mystery isn't really a mystery I already could figure out that it was Maggie Douglas the whole time you could tell because she's this mysterious lady who comes in and orders things like five blouses and she doesn't care what size they are and then she returns them the next day 
talking about their quality being bad. And I'm like, oh, so she's probably the owner of this store now, and she just doesn't want anyone to know that she's checking them out. And then that's what it was. <laughs> so I figured that out pretty yeah. early on, and I started to lose interest as I was moving along. Well, uh, well done figuring out the mystery intended for eight-year-old readers. Good yeah, job. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think the big, the biggest clue being... I thought she was like, maybe she's a known thief. Is this story going to be about a shoplifter and that they're going to figure out who the shoplifter is? No, no one shoplifted at any point. Uh, and then they, they, they actually have someone do the reverse of shoplifting. In which fact, is, she did. Yeah, she did the opposite of shoplifting. Yeah. And that part they explained at the end when she finally said who she was. And they're like, you're the one that put the lockets, you know, in the display case when they weren't supposed to be there because they didn't order lockets. So I think there's lockets in there. And then she goes, yes, it was me. Did they explain her reasoning on why she did that? Because that's where I was skimming, and I'm like, I don't see a reason in here. I don't. I'm just moving on. She just has uh, an eye for business, and she knew that they would sell. They did sell well. They had to reorder them, so she just put them in there because she's a savvy salesperson and, and knew they would sell well. Uh, which is uh, it's well then they when they go to her house, which is deep in the woods, or when Benny does. Uh, they see that she's got a, like, her house is immaculate inside. She, I guess she dresses like kind of like a little bit of a weirdo, kind of disheveled, but inside her house it's like immaculate and whatever. And then they see that she's got like five coffee machines and then she admits I test each one out or something. And I was like, okay, well, I guess the mystery really is there is no thieving going on. It's just who's this mysterious lady? She's clearly the owner. Uh, yep. There's a mysterious boy that keeps showing up around her house because he constantly has to keep bringing deliveries. And uh, the boy knows who he is because everyone in town knows who he is. But he's shocked that this kid knows who he is. So, I don't know. Um, Oh, I like that his sister Violet was shopping for a new blouse. And we had to kind of read a lot about it and how she was kind of a bitch about it. She's like, look at the stitching on this blouse. I can't believe you'd sell this kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, Just just because Violet... It wasn't a bitch. Uh, the lady, Maggie Douglas, was being the bitch, right? Uh, well, the lady or kept did saying, you not pick up on that detail either? The lady kept uh, saying, well, why don't you try this blouse? She goes, I don't like that blouse. Yeah. It's purple. And she's like, well, what about this one? She's like, no, I don't like it. It's too flowy. Like, she was being a pain in the ass. And then finally okay. finds the stitching. But by then, uh, Mrs. Douglas was there to help her and noticed the shoddy stitching as well. And so then, whatever. Anywho... Yeah, it just goes on and on. Everything is just them inching closer towards kind of nothing. And uh, talking. They, they get a letter with compliments, which is Mrs. Douglas sending letters to clerks and stuff saying you did a great job. Uh, but Mr. Fogg doesn't get a good one. He gets a, a shitty one, so he crumples it up and throws it away. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's a detail that you know didn't really matter a whole lot. Um, but I did like that um, at one point, Benny, and this is how I imagine you, uh, eager young boy goes to Mr. Fogg's department, which is all electric goods like skillets and toasters and coffee machines and stuff. And uh, Benny comes down there with uh, a couple skillets of his own, but they weren't electric ones. And then Fogg gets mad and says, I wouldn't have thought someone with your family name would have made that kind of mistake. And I kind of imagine that's the sort of pressure you lived under <laughs> with your mom. <laughs> yeah, that's why it turned out like this. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that's kind of it. Like, nothing else really goes on. Uh, what's his name? The oldest brother, Henry, he winds up working overnight shift as a janitor because he wants to get the mystery. Uh, he winds up seeing someone walking around in the dark, and it's Mr. Fogg. And uh, 
And Fog goes, I knew it was you. And then Henry goes, no, I'm supposed to work here tonight. What are you doing here? And Fog goes, ah, fuck off. And then cripples away because he's got a limp. And then, yeah. uh, and then they hear, then he hears someone trying to use the key at the door. And he can't, he's kind of scared. And then the person takes off in their car and drives away. And, uh, and then he says, oh, who is that? Just clearly, uh, clearly the woman. I, I do like that that the night before the night watchman was describing his experience because the night before was when the the lockets got left behind uh, the night watchman Sam. Mm-hmm. The night before that Henry was being the janitor, um, he was describing that he thought he heard a noise and he was looking around. He couldn't find anyone, but he did see this weird mannequin in the window that he hadn't noticed before, and then mm-hmm. the mannequin was gone. And it turned out that was Maggie Douglas just like standing still in the window while oh. Sam. Investigated yeah. the scene, and then when he turned his back, she basically just walked out. So, not a very good night watch. And then uh, it's the big picnic, which is going to be held at uh, Mrs. Douglas's house. So clearly, she's the person. And uh, they go, and Mr. Fogg's a jerk. He brings his own lunch, and then um, then they shoot. wait. What? That's what you got out of that? Yeah, he brought. He's like, I thought you were supposed to bring something, and. Like, yeah, he no. thought it was a potluck. He didn't bring his own lunch. He brought food for everybody because he thought it was a potluck. Jesus No, Christ. I thought he was a curmudgeon that brings his own lunch. Like, I'm not going to eat your food. I brought my own sub. He, he, he brought his bag and he sheepishly looked around like, oh, I thought this was something where everyone brought something. Yeah. He had, like, pickles or something, didn't he? No, nah, I was skimming by then. I thought it was a bag lunch. He said bag, and I thought you were supposed to bring something. And I was yeah, like, oh. he brought food in a bag for everybody because he thought that's what sort of party it was. His character up to that point is not the kind of person that brings something to a potluck. So I'm not buying it. Yeah, but that's that's a heartwarming part of the story. By the end, he he, he changes. And, uh, maybe Mr. Fogg isn't as bad as we thought he was. He brought food <laughs> to the potluck, but it's not actually a potluck. But he thought it was, so it's nice that he brought food. This, I'm just going to go ahead and read a passage now. We're not going to say it for the end of the show, I guess. Oh, all right, fine. So, I'll just do it right now because it's relevant, and I like this passage. <laughs> Mr. Fogg looked around at the guests, and the food set out on the picnic table. He frowned, then a smile slowly spread over his face. Well, I thought this was a picnic where every guest brings something, he said, holding out his paper bag. Oh, no, laughed Miss Douglas. I'm giving this picnic, but if you brought something, that's fine. <laughs> she opened the bag and took out a huge jar of pickles, the largest anyone had ever seen. <laughs> They're sweet pickles, Mr. Fogg explained. Miss Douglas laughed, and so did the others. Maybe Mr. Fogg wasn't exactly sweet, but he was trying hard not to be the sour pickle he'd often been called behind his back. I like my ending better, where his is ignored and no one's touching it, and he's feeling sad and dejected. Fine. I love that he doesn't just bring pickles, but it's the biggest jar of pickles anyone's ever seen. <laughs> well, because he knows there's a lot of people here. He wants to make sure everyone has pickles. <clears throat> well, I'm glad they're sweet pickles uh, to counter his personality. All right, well, with that, let's do the show wrap-up. Well, Ben, you picked out this book, and it was fine. Uh, Another kid's book. I think we just went too young with this one. uh... (laughs) I love that you're still trying to find things to get upset at me about with it. That's probably the best part about this episode so far. What's that? I think your outrage, or you're trying to find things to get upset at me about with this book, (laughs) which I think is probably the best part about it. The book is for 
young children, so it's very inoffensive. So yeah, I got to get worked up about something. So. Yeah, nah, I don't even have it in me to do it. But yeah, I think we 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 went a little too young with this one. It just it's we got to stick with slightly older fare if we go on the children's books. Yeah, the idea of the boxcar children, I totally was in my head before reading it was thinking like, oh, this is going to be about a like. A, very, a family of hobos, right? That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like 1920s era kind of story of little kids that live on a train kind of thing. Uh, whether the, homeless the or first, not. The first one was written in 1924, so I don't know if that's how it started out, and then it morphed into this thing that we read. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a Hardy Boys thing, basically, where they're, they're the most famous. They uh, apparently have had other crimes that they've solved in the past, which are those mysteries that they've solved in the past as non-crimey as this one because there was really no crime happening at all and the mystery wasn't oh, like, like a, shocking or anything mystery doesn't have to be criminally uh, even for centered. kids for kids books you sort of think it's going to be like oh someone stole something or someone's trying to embezzle my, I don't know it's like something bad or illegal would be happening to some degree to excite the reader you know, okay. The little child who's reading it. This one, it was just kind of a lot of details around a department store that you'd think little kids would be like, I don't care about the, the housewares section of the store being low on a stock of a certain thing. I don't know. Little kids, they kind of fantasize about being grown-ups, don't they? And <laughs> it'd be so cool to be a grown-up and part of being... If you're if you're seven years old, like a grown-up is somebody who works at a department store and there's all sorts of fun mysteries. I think that's, I get it's for children. I think you're still hung up on the fact that you think this is for teenagers and it's for much younger children. And if you look at it through that lens, it makes more sense. I think teenagers have read this and been as disappointed as any other teenager that has read it. Uh, I, I'm thinking, I also, I have a hard time believing that like an eight year old or a seven year old would read this book and get to the part where, uh, was it? Is it Henry accidentally ordered two vases? Uh, and there's a small mystery around that because the vase didn't show up. So I guess they ordered a second one. Like, how do we get two vases? It's like, oh, the first vase was hidden under the counter. And then, like a kid is going to put down the book and look starry-eyed into the into the distance, and be like, oh boy, if only I could pre-order a vase someday. <laughs> like the world of grown-ups is fascinating. I wonder if they ever run out of comforters during fall season. Okay. Well, there we go. What are we going to read next? Well, the other ones I have on the shelf are uh, Baby Service Club or Nancy Drew. (laughs) It's true. It's all children's mystery literature. If we do Twilight, I mean, that's our next, what, six episodes taken care of right there. I know. <laughs> so it's got that going for it. We don't have to think of it for a while. Why don't we read The Babysitter's Club and then we get into Twilight? I don't know if I have the energy for Twilight yet. Or you know what we okay. could do? What? We could, instead of reading, watch a Twilight movie. And then maybe start reading Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We could take a break from reading altogether and do our movie review. <laughs> Yeah, I'm done with that. You know, do you want to watch Twilight with me over Skype or Zoom or whatever next Sunday? Uh, this sounds like it's going to be a bad idea. Uh, bad. But yeah. apparently this is the Twilight podcast now because that's the only book we've really got a lot of history with. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, uh, 
Ben, thanks for being a great friend of the show, being on the show, and uh, and for everyone else, thanks for listening.